thank you for choosing this British Journal of Sports Medicine podcast. My name is Sean Carmody and I'm a doctor uh, working in London. Today, I'm delighted to welcome two very special guests. Audra Carrington, three-time major winner, winning the Open in 2007 and 2008 and the PGA Championship in 2008. Podrick is the current captain of the European team for the Ryder Cup and has competed at the highest level of golf for four decades. We're also joined by Liam Hennessy, Podrick's longtime fitness coach, um, who's worked in sport for over 25 years. And there are very few corners of sport that he has influenced through his mentorship and guidance to so many practitioners, including myself. If I can start off, what, what I'm really interested to know, considering how long the two of you worked together, is how, how did you develop that, that relationship between coach and athlete? Well, I suppose I've always had a simple policy of, of trying to have the best people that are available to, be, available to me on my team. So I would have started out, you know, in, very much in a local area as you're building up, you have a local coach and then, then you move on to a local sports psychologist and things like that. But as I progressed and, and came out on tour, obviously I started to get a bit more of a profile, get bigger, and I realised that I really needed to address the, the fitness side, the training side of golf. Uh, so I, I would have been 20, 25 years of age at this stage, nearly 26. And uh, luckily, I had a brother who introduced me to Liam. Uh, we started working together. To be honest, at the time, you know, I, I'd be told Liam knew his stuff and was good at it. But I, I think I've worked with Liam the longest of anybody now as a professional golfer. So he, he has become more of my, uh, you know, he was part of the team. He now leads the team. I would take more advice from Liam than I do from anybody else in terms of setting schedules and organizing myself. And, and really, as a sounding board for, for all the way through, all the way through my game. So it, it's very important for me when I do have a team that each person stays in their lane. But I often ask a person then advice for what, to do in other areas but I, I, I would I, I've never appreciated never worked well and I, I don't think it works very well when people who are in one area of expertise who have a knowledge of another start crossing over and maybe interfering yes when they're brought in and asked about it it's a great thing uh, I think I've developed enough of a relationship over the years with Liam that I do ask a lot about different areas that, that have a I suppose have relevance to what Liam does but uh, like I wouldn't set my schedule without talking through Liam and, and looking at him and him giving some suggestions about, you know, obviously about periodization and things like that. But it really is a, I suppose that my belief in what Liam does has grown over the years. And, and as I said, I wouldn't be, I definitely wouldn't be without him at this stage. And in Liam, in, in your experience over that uh, 20 plus years, I mean, how, how have things changed and, and, and what's, what's helped develop that relationship so, you know, to sustain that for such a long time? My role in it, I would have seen, is to, is to keep coming back to the basics where needed. And we, we, I, don't, I think we still apply those principles, which are, um, as a good friend of ours, the great AK often says, you know, methods are many, principles are few, methods regularly change, but principles rarely do. So the methods that we would have used over years and years and years were as much for variety and stimulating different aspects of what needed to be, you know, trained and developed. But the principles guiding how you apply those were always the same for the last 
20 years anyway. So I suppose the relationship between Podic and I in, in doing that is founded on principles and then the manipulation of all those other variables that keep going on, whether it's travel and, and, and then recovery from a, a, a phase and then resetting and then progressing slowly and gradually. Um, so they're the sort of principles that, that have been applied over the years with the ultimate goal of, 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 of looking at extending longevity within the game at, but at the highest and the best level the party wants to play at. I, I'd have to say, Sean, and that uh, when I started with Liam, golf was new to Liam as much as mm. training was to me. And what would have come out of this and what is fascinating about golf is we are definitely one of the strangest sports in the world because we go, basically, we travel on a Monday and then we do six days that are between nine to 14 hours of work for six days in a row. And we, we do at least two to three weeks, sometimes up to 10 weeks in a row of that. Incredible it is the fact that different styles of people go through that. Some people wouldn't put up that much volume, but certainly I was doing that, that sort of volume every day. Uh, but you, you'll have some absolute gym rats on the tour who are seriously fit. And you'll have some guys that, you know, look like big lumps of guys, you know, are overweight, don't look very healthy. You don't see very many of the overweight, smoking, drinking guys that might have been there when I started out. There's a lot more of the younger, fitter, stronger guys. Uh, but definitely, it's just a strange sport that there's so many ways of doing it and being successful. There, there are definitely players who, who, like myself, would spend 14 hours a day working. And there's other players who would spend the bare minimum. Uh, and not do a lot of practice and rest and save themselves. Uh, and none of these models are perfect, as in it's not a question that you should do it one way because there are people being successful using each system. And, and that's the weirdest thing about golf is, you know, it, it, in other sports, it's so easy to say, this is the system that works. This is how many miles you run each week. This is how you taper. This is how you build it up. But in golf, it just does, there's so many ways of getting it done finding the right one for you, or in my case, as it would have been with Liam, trying to manage the, the crazy one that I was always trying to do uh, and trying to, if anything, Liam spent his life trying to keep the reins of me and hold me back. Uh, and it's only with my own, I suppose, hindsight now that I'm where I am at the moment, uh, with experience that you look back and, and you, you, as you said, I have built up certain markers over the year, over the years that, you know, First and foremost for me, if looking back at, the, at golf, the biggest key is we tend to do a lot of work when we're tired, which is an issue. So, you know, practicing going to the gym, oftentimes we're fatigued. So at that stage, we're obviously more likely to pick up injuries and pick up bad habits and postural issues. So that is always going to be a big worry. Coming out of that, I, I would suggest, and, and this is, I do this with Liam now and, and certainly over the years we would have done it but I think the biggest key for any player first and foremost is to have an assessment at the start of every week just a simple movement screen to check their own fundamental movements and also to monitor their areas of weakness because every player and if you look through the medical records I think of most players you will find that they all have a pinch point so 
you'll have one player that has a neck issue. You'll have another player who has a shoulder issue. You have another player's upper back, another player lower back, another player knee, wrist. Everybody seems to have one point in the body that is a pinch point for them that is their injury prone that specifically they're going to have to deal with throughout their career. So that's kind of the two things I would say looking back is assess everybody at the start of the week, see where they're at, give them that bit of program to work through the week. At the end of the day, every player you have to find as early as possible in their career where their pinch point is so that they can manage it, manage it, manage it so that, you know, it doesn't end up in a career ending injury or, or surgeries or things like that. And, and it just seems like in golf because of the, we've measured this at Liam, is it, is it what is it? It's a, there's some serious G force in the swing that mm. at some point in the body, that that is some pinch point is going to take that pressure, and it's it, it, as I said, it does seem to be different for everybody finding it, and then every, every individual then having a pro. Like there's no way that a general program works for golfers. It has to be like you can go out and tour, and it, it's phenomenal how you'd have one guy who's just beset with lower back problems, and then you'd have another guy who has knee problems, another guy it's upper back problems, neck problems. And they'll, they'll run their whole career. They'll have to manage those things. So the earlier they find that, the better. Those would be the two things. Watching for fatigue and getting lost in, in poor posture, getting assessed, uh, and then trying to find where is your pinch point to give it that extra bit, bit of work. I would also say, as I've been thinking through this, I would also say for, I think this is for all people. Every program needs to be broken down into bite sizes. Mm. So I, I don't believe, it, it, it takes an incredibly enthusiastic person who would go and do an hour's worth of stretching and exercises, you know, mobility exercises after a long day or at the start of a long day, during a long week, during the period. You know, if they're at the golf course, eight, 10 hours a day, 10, 12 hours sometimes, it's a lot to ask for. But that doesn't mean that that hour of exercises can't be done in bite sizes during the day. So what myself and Liam would have done over the years is we would have picked and worked through the exercises that I needed, the exercises that are specifically for me. And we would have taken them from all areas. We worked a bit with TPI, uh, Titus Performance, every different area, whether it's something I saw on, you might see something on Instagram now on, on, on some stretch and I talked to Liam and, and basically, I would have, I'd have all my movements, whether they're stretches or mobility, and I'd have periods in the day where I'd, I'd get up out of my bed in the morning and I'd do the 15 minutes. Whereas when I was 20 years ago, I was doing 45 minutes when I got out of my bed, but I'm not prepared to do that anymore. So I hit 15 minutes then, I go to the golf course, I have my breakfast, I then hit 15 minutes of a dynamic warm-up, uh, as well as see a physio. So I'm kind of hitting the whole period. I'm hitting all the things in little blocks that I can manage and get through and break them down, even, even to the extent that after a round of golf, I can go back to, I'd be going back to the range and I'd be quite stiff after my round of golf, especially if I you know, sat down and had lunch afterwards. I'd be going back to the range. So that 15-minute dynamic warm-up in the morning, I can cut that down. I can cut that to three or four or five minutes just to get the basics done before I go back to the range, just to get my posture better, 
just to get me primed a little bit better. And we, myself and Liam did a great test uh, about 10 years ago where we, we had three, it was an off week and we did three separate days. The first day I did static stretches and I went and did 3D. I actually did static stretches with a physio and went and did 3D. The second day I did a dynamic warm-up and I went and did 3D analysis again. And the third day I did nothing. And what was interesting was I was at my fastest when I did nothing as a warm-up, but I was at my most coordinated when I did a dynamic warm-up. So static was no use to me whatsoever. It just didn't do, didn't do a thing. Doing nothing, I was still quick and able to do it, but I hadn't got the same connection and coordination I had after I did a dynamic warm-up. So, it, you know, knowing that for myself, I'm sure it's different for every person, but that just gave, gives me purpose now that if I was running late for my tea time, I would actually do my dynamic warm-up more so than hit shots. So if, if like if it, it would take me probably about an hour and 45 minutes when I start doing my warm-up and physio, and then I go to the range about an hour and five minutes before my tea time. If for some reason I got delayed, I would cut into the hour and five minutes to do the dynamic warm-up. That's, more important to get that as i said i can cut it down to five minutes but say get that 15 minutes done and then i cut the 15 minutes out of hitting shots there that's nowhere near as important that's more of a mental exercise anyway hitting shots so the great thing about it is we measured that and we found out what worked for me and, and that's what i would say to a lot of players going along it's trying to find out who they are as an individual and, and it fascinates me because We've done this in golf now. We've looked at it. And I often then go and watch teams play. And I see the team warming up, everybody doing the same warm-up routine. And I know there's a team element to that. that it's a team bonding thing. But you can often see this. Half the players are completely disinterested because, you know, they don't need to do a hamstring stretch. They've got, they've never had a problem with their hamstring stretch. But they might need to be spending some time on something else. In golf, we obviously have the ability to do that. And I wonder in team sports, I just wonder, is there a better way of doing that, that each individual knows or should know what their weak points are? And, you know, and, and I, I think when it comes to, to team sports, they probably do have a pinch point like to do in golf. That's right, Podrick. And certainly you see now in, in some team sports, there is a, an effort to individualise that, that prehab. And, and I think you're right. I think there definitely is something to be said there because ultimately everyone's different and, and you can't necessarily cookie cut those interventions for across a team who are different sizes and shapes and, and a, a different playing history. So that, that's a very good, really good point. Podrick, you, you've mentioned lots of things there. Um, think the impact of travel, fatigue, the effects of posture, um, mobility, obviously the impact of a dynamic warm-up and, and how much the, the screening um, process, how important that is for you. From your perspective, Liam, what are the I mean, what are the big contributors to injury, or what are the things you look for from the from the coach's perspective um, to to try and, and support Podrick? Okay, Sean. Well, look, we know that <clears throat> um, that injury is uh, um, is there in golf. Okay, it's not the it's not the same incidence even when you quantify. There's very little. There's few studies, but from the few that are there, I think uh, one one study really recently reported 1.4 um, golf-related injuries per thousand hours of golf. Now, compared to a team sport like 
soccer or Gaelic football, hurling, rugby, you know, they're up, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven injuries per thousand dollars. So while golf has a low incidence, it has typically, as you know, you know, the, the upper body, perhaps around 70 percent of injuries occur within the upper body, the spine and then from the shoulder through to the fingers. So the the specific nature of injuries are, are, are there's golf specific nature. But they're, the stand, they're standard injuries, as you know, at the end of the day. Now, from Podrick's point of view, we know, that, we know that hip flexor mobility, in other words, mobility about the joints within the flexor group, that's crucial for Podrick because then after travel and after playing a lot, uh, those two areas in particular, and, and fatigue, you'll find that Podrick's range of motion about those joints like the hip flexors or even the quad, quad, quadricep mobility and the TFL, they're all tighter on one side typically than the other side. And if Podrick focuses a lot and puts a lot on a certain technical uh, model of swinging, well, that'll give, that often gives rise to a tightening within a certain area of the body. So the, the whole idea of, of uh, resetting back to what we consider Podrick's normal range of motion of outdoors joints is, is critical. And often there's an it's a loose association, I'm only saying loose, between those, those tightening or restrictions within Podrick and perhaps the onset of, of a more annoying injury. Um, and that has been the case over, over, over the years. Um, again, that's occupational hazard because it's related to the volume of work that Podrick commits to doing, uh, to getting something technically honed and to getting this, the, the motor pattern and the skill of it um, and it's the pressure like he might be putting on you know side flexion or lateral flexion um, in in a certain swing or posting with the with the lead leg so the mechanical model that he has for the for the technical is placing stresses and that's volume of work over again it's like a repetitive strain injury we know the similar mechanisms are operating but once we stay on top of resetting and restoring to um, Podrick's normal ranges and his normal ranges, not the normal range of somebody else, but, but that said, they're the kind of day-to-day -day details that Podrick will attend to in his, in his small routines and his early morning routines. And he knows, he knows now, he knows and he has known, he has got to keep on top of X, Y, Z constantly. Um, and that becomes part of his daily routine. There's, there's no point, by the way, in somebody trying to replicate either or Podrick replicating somebody else's routine. It's individualized. And I think that's very, very important. And again, go back into the team thing. This is, this is what often happens with teams where we've seen and been involved with this. Often there's a generic program. And generic program, as you, as you know, applied into golf. And if somebody, if somebody for, for example, is... is doing something a new methods and and it becomes a fad or a trend well you know that that's very unlikely to meet the needs of every individual player i have to, i have to say something there because it's bugging my, my me as we're going on about the stat of injury prone 1.7 compared to seven or eight per hour in terms of football compared to golf injuries that would suggest that there's more injuries per week in golf than football because we do more than seven times the volume of a footballer in any given week uh, and we do more mm -hmm. weeks so actually golf is more injury prone than than uh, 
than football sport or, or, or something like that. So it obviously stats could be spun anyway. But golf, yeah, we, we're see, we're the problem. Another problem with golf now, what's happened? Uh, like a hundred percent agree with Lee that it's all about maintaining what's my norms. I'm not trying to be as flexible or have a move that I see some somebody else have. What's interesting that's changed in the game because golf has become much more a power sport over the last 20 years. To get into those power positions definitely put a lot more strain on the body physically. So you're looking for a lot more side bends in the body. You're looking for a lot more posting up. You're looking for a lot more angles. You're looking for a lot of more bracing in certain parts of the body. Huge amount more decelerations. Uh, you're basically going to the extremities of, of as many things as you can. And obviously you're doing that at speed. So, you know, it, it really is, there is a lot, lot bigger physicality now, a lot more of an extreme, if you want to keep up. And I know as, as an older guy, I'm trying to do moves that maybe I should have learned when I'm 15 years of age. I'm trying to get my body to do them now. As you know, every, every sports person out there, well, I should say, anyone who's like me anyway, I'll push to get the absolute best out of my golf. And if Liam comes around to me and says, oh my God, this is like, you know, you're really pushing. I look at Liam and say, well, okay, how do we manage this? Rather than don't do it. I'm going to do whatever makes me the best golfer. So once I've got that set, then I have to figure out, well, if you're going to try and get into this position, you really need to change and improve. You've got to get this, this sorted out and you've got to focus on it to manage it and, and and there might there might be an issue you know and, and this is the problem like you know the pressure i'm putting on myself you know how's my body going to be in five ten years time well i'm going to manage it as well as i can but i want to play as good as i can right now and i'm prepared to to push push my body to the limits as i said and manage it as well as I can, but I'm going to push myself. So, Liam, it, it is, there is always that battle between my, myself and Liam of, not as much lately now, I will say, but Liam knows me, I know him, and we, we, we work on the principle that, look, I'm going to want to do it. How do we figure out the best way of, of slowly getting there without, uh, you know, jumping in and, and, and giving myself an injury that, you know, sets me back six months or a year, which, you know, at 40 nearly 49 years of age, I don't have six months or a year to be taken uh, be taken out from my sport. Podrick, I'm going to ask you to let me stop you there as BGSM podcasts go for 20 minutes. But the good news is we'll continue this conversation in a second instalment uh, of the podcast. So we look, look forward to welcoming all the listeners back uh, for, for the remainder of our chat. Thank you very much.